0: This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace.
1: Hello, and welcome to Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love. I'm Merritt Johnston. I'm sitting in today for host Carmen Pate. We appreciate your continued prayers for Carmen as she undergoes treatment for leukemia. God's using her even in the midst of this season of suffering to impact the lives of her physicians, her nurses, and even you, our listeners, as she prays specifically for you. Thank you for returning the blessing and praying for God's healing in her life. In today's episode, we will be responding to questions from our listeners. But before we get to those questions, I'm excited to welcome back today's guest, Dr. Dave Anderson. Dr. Anderson currently serves as the president of Grace School of Theology, in addition to his ministry as an author, speaker, and professor of biblical languages. In fact, I'm currently studying fundamentals of Greek exegesis (laughs) with him right now, and I'm doing my best to soak up every minute of that great teaching. Dr. Anderson, welcome back to Saving Grace.
0: Well, thank you. Always glad to be here. Great.
1: Great. So one of our listeners wrote in with a question I think will resonate with many who are listening today. She writes, what do you do when you haven't felt God's presence in a long time, even though you're spending time praying and studying daily? There are many layers to this question, but could you first unpack the idea of God's presence and how to recognize that in our spiritual life?
0: Well, it is a loaded question. I uh, had what some of my friends call a TIA, which is a mini stroke recently and I went in yesterday to the neurologist and started explaining the symptoms and I said, well, could it be this? And they said, well, I don't know. Could it be this? Well, I don't know. Could it be this? It was like they didn't know because they had to run, you know, $5,000 of tests to figure out what it might be. It's kind of like that with this question. Uh, The symptom we're hearing is don't sense a presence with God, but uh, without talking to the individual and their life situation, it's a little hard to answer. For example, if you were to read uh, Philip Yancey's book, Disappointment with God, he talks about the fact that the further you feel from God, the closer you may be. Wow! And the reason is, as we grow in our faith, <clears throat> God will move us from what he calls seed faith to fog faith. And that early in our Christian life, we need to see some mountains removed and thrown into the sea. And that kind of jump starts us and excitement and all that kind of stuff, as we grow in our faith, it almost seems like God is pulling away. Uh, and he says the reason is it's harder to have faith in the fog than it is to see miracles. Mm. So when you don't see God acting, when he doesn't seem to be answering your prayers, when you don't seem to know which way you're going, uh, it could be he's putting the finishing touches on your faith. Like Hezekiah asked for a for, uh, longer life, he got it, but there's no record of God speaking to him in the latter years of his life, mm. so uh, a little hard to answer that question i 'm not uh, one of those who follows the desert mystics, though there are some popular teachers uh, in our culture today who want you to go into the deep contemplative thinking and okay. meditation and uh, and certain disciplines to get you there. Uh, I think that's kind of dangerous as you uh, read their writings. I won't use any names here, but you'll see, uh, in my experience, in my experience, in my experience, in my experience, in my experience. And the leading proponent who wrote those words, I kept repeating, uh, was a student of one of the leading existentialists in Europe. And existentialism is a, you know, it just means knowledge through experience, basically. Mm -hmm. And that really began to be popularized. Will Kierkegaard was the father of existentialism back put him around 1850. Uh, but as you got into the 20th century, Karl Barth picked it up, uh, considered the most influential New Testament scholar of the 20th century by many people. And then it's, it's kept on rolling until much of our culture today is driven by existentialism. In other words, what is truth? Well, it's what I experience to be real. Mm. That's what Thomas Harris said in his book, I'm Okay, You're Okay. Wow. Uh, So, I think it's a little dangerous to govern my walk by my feelings. Uh, That doesn't take away from the fact that there are times that you can just be so full of the presence of God that it's overwhelming. But, uh, when you seem to be in a desert experience, it says, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Jesus had a desert experience It wasn't probably feeling good. Right. So you could be in one of those times. It doesn't mean you uh, have been unfaithful or anything like that, as long as there's not any known sin you're wrestling with. Uh, if you have that, then he's made provision for that as well through confession and walking in the light as he's in the light. So again, it's uh, without the person sitting right here in front of me and giving me some of the uh, background in their life and other things going on. It's a little, little hard to answer that question.
1: Sure. I think you hit on a good point, just this idea of of how feelings and faith correlate to each other. And so, I mean, what do you see uh, the correlation being there, if any, between these emotions that we have and our faith? Do our emotions connect at all with um, our faith? And and how can we respond in those times? Because we are emotional beings.
0: Well, emotions tend to follow actions, uh, just as a general rule. Uh, For example, in Revelation 2, it says the Ephesian church had lost their first love. Mm. So they had all their doctrine right. They were orthodox. Their theological uh, I's were dotted and their T's were crossed. But they'd lost their first love. Mm. So what's his uh, answer to them? He says, go back and do the first works. So if you would apply that to, say, an individual's walk, uh, was there a time when you were on fire for Jesus, for example? Was there a time you were excited? Well, then, what were you doing? What were you doing during the times you felt that way? And uh, it could be you need to go back and and do that. Uh, for me, uh, I got really going for Christ in college when I was taught how to share my faith. And although I was working over at Bentob Hospital as a pre-med student. On Saturday night, and that's about as exciting as medicine gets. a county hospital, big city, Saturday night. Once I learned how to lead someone to Christ, it paled in comparison. Wow. So then when I became a pastor, I was spending almost all my time with Christians. And I did find my enthusiasm waning at times.
1: Sure.
0: So I realized, wow, I need to go share my faith. So I would manufacture, I had to manufacture ways to do that. And for me, one of the ways was just going door to door in my neighborhood. And... uh, I didn't have to lead someone to Christ to come back higher than a kite. Uh, And I think that's the side benefit of using one's spiritual gift it's self edification. They weren't given for self edification, they're given to build up the body. But a side benefit of using one's gift is you are edified yourself. Uh, So that's another uh, thing it's action. Uh, uh, James 1 is written to a bunch of depressed people. They had good reason to be depressed, they were Jewish Christians probably ridiculed and sometimes persecuted by the Gentiles, but uh, they are also rejected by the Jews because they trusted Christ. So, you know, the uh, utility companies cut off their electricity and Mm. they're hurting financially and lots of other reasons they're depressed. So he says, all right, you want to be happy? Go visit the widow and orphan in their distress. Your motives won't be mixed, and uh, you'll find that... uh, You'll be happy, it says, in your doing, in your doing. Right. Jesus says the same thing uh, in John chapter 13, uh, verse 17. uh, He goes through teaching them about how to have a clean heart and a humble heart. Then he winds it up by saying, uh, happy are you if you do this, you know. So anyway, so uh, again, just in general, feelings will follow actions if you're down and depressed or, or preoccupied with yourself, there's good chances it's because you're thinking about yourself. And as we teach in a lot of our uh, courses and books, uh, our position in Christ is completely sanctified, completely holy, completely forgiven, past, present, and future. But our condition on earth is we still, still struggle with our sinful nature. However, if we focus on our failures and on how sinful we are with that sin nature, uh, we'll get depressed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, uh, you know, if if indeed we're seated at the right hand of God in Christ, uh, set your affections on things above, Colossians three, not on things on the earth. So as you we focus on our position in Christ, our condition improves and begins to correspond to our position. But as we focus on our condition on earth, our condition gets worse and we get depressed.
1: Right, I think I was able to discuss this topic a little bit with Carmen Pate, and when we were talking about it, she had some great insight that touches on on what you just mentioned. That uh, our flesh takes our feelings in so many directions. So uh, when we have an inward focus, it's really easy to become consumed um, with those negative things. Uh, But if we can always return to the facts of who Mm -hmm. God is, when we can put our focus on His promises and trusting the fact that He is a God who fulfills His promises, then it enables our feelings to remain more Grounded mm-hmm. because they're grounded in truth. Uh, they're, they're directed back to what we know to be true and who God is.
0: And, and one other aspect of this is Christians in general think it's if you're depressed, you must be in sin. Mm. Uh, that's not true at all. Uh, Depression is another word for grieving. Mm. If uh, your husband were to die in a car wreck today, I imagine you would grieve. Well, no one in his right mind would say, Stop grieving. Right. So we experience other types of losses as we go through life that aren't as dramatic as that or maybe something as dramatic as that. And there is a grieving period associated uh, with each loss, and uh, we call that a reactive depression. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you'll do okay through a series of small losses, but when you add them up, they throw you into depression. and That's when you need to figure out what's causing this, what are the losses I'm dealing with, and then give yourself permission to grieve for a while. Uh, and then time to come out of it. if you can't come out of it, you're into clinical depression. that's another animal. but just just being depressed it uh, doesn't mean you're in sin doesn't mean you're a defeated Christian, any of those things. you could have experienced some loss, loss of sure. a job, loss of a friend sure uh, a move if you If you move to another city, there are all sorts of things you're losing your uh, your old- routine your old old friends your old church your old all sorts of things so there's a a time to adjust to that
1: right i think that's exactly right even jesus himself wept uh, when sure. he arrived after Lazarus had died. Mm-hmm. And he knew the outcome of what was about to happen. So he knew that that wasn't the end of the story, but still had that emotional response in that situation. So I do think all people are unique. Some are more rational, some uh, driven more by thoughts, and others may be more emotional and driven by feelings. So in your experience as a pastor, how did you try to respond and minister to those who, who tend to be more driven by their emotions, by their feelings?
0: Well, one thing I learned in pastoral work and in marriage <laughs> is it's important to validate feelings. Uh, my wife used to start telling me uh, how this upset her and blah, blah, and going on and on. And I'd say, we shouldn't feel that way. Let, oh, no. me, tell you, <laughs> let me tell you the five reasons why you shouldn't. And let me fix you.
1: <laughs> Maybe not the best response.
0: No. But uh, well, I spent years trying to fix it. <laughs> and finally realized when I was doing that, I was invalidating her feelings. I was saying, there's something wrong with you. You shouldn't mm. feel that way. Well, that's not the case at all. And she really didn't want me to fix her. She wanted me to listen. Sure. And to, uh, it, it, best I could, empathize. So when I began to say, wow, I think I'd feel the same way if I had just gone through that and things mm. like that. So in church work, uh, the same thing. Uh, 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 the, the worst thing I could do would, would be to invalidate their feelings And feelings, you know, God made us with feelings. Right. God had feelings. So feelings in and of themselves are not sinful or bad. And there are times that uh, we start trying to dictate to our feelings and tell them what to uh, or stuff them. And that doesn't work either because you stuff them, they get down there and they start talking to each other. You say, well... How long have you been angry? Oh, I've been here ten years. You know. Oh wow! Been holding grudge ten years. <laughs> wow! I just got here. You mean, you mean this is a permanent prison? We don't get out. And they start revolting, and when they revolt, it can come out in ugly ways. Mm. So, so, feelings are important to deal with. God made us feeling creatures. There are times our feelings become sinful. You know, let not the sun go down on your wrath. And out of the way, I like to translate that in Ephesians four. If you must be angry, sin not. Don't mm. let your anger move into uh, from what's called orge de par orge. And when you put the pa par on front of orge, it intensifies the orge is the wrath, the anger.
1: Mm. But
0: when you intensify it, it turns into bitterness. Mm. So you want to cut it off at the pass, <laughs> if sure. you can. If you can.
1: Definitely. Well, I think the dynamics of church services today can be quite different depending on the church, um, the church's worship style, the venue, the sermon delivery. What role, if any, do you think those elements play in helping people experience God's presence?
0: Well, I personally think it's a huge role. Now, uh, you're going to get a lot of different answers if you you throw that question out to different people, different pastors. But uh, Ephesians 5, verse 18, has been taken for you decades as a verse to the individual, meaning uh, don't be drunk with wine where it is an excess, but be filled with the Spirit, blah, 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 blah. Well, probably not the case because uh, that command or imperative to be filled is then described by five ING words. ING Mm. words are what we call participles. Yes. And so it's defined by speaking to yourselves in hymns, Psalms, hymns, making melody in your hearts to the Lord, you know, giving thanks always in all things and uh, submitting one to another. Well, you can't submit to yourself. Right. So submitting one to another, what we realize is going on there is a group worship experience. Okay. It's 1 Corinthians 14 where someone comes with a psalm, someone else comes with a word of knowledge, someone else comes with a, uh, a, a sermon, an exhortation, and you weren't supposed to filibuster. They didn't have services where one guy talked for 30 to 45 minutes. Uh, different people could talk and uh, so when they did, it says you're to submit to the other person Uh, so I think that's the picture we have in Ephesians 5 now having said that uh, if you think of of, um, what's going on there uh, there's songs, hymns singing, so worship uh, hymns of praise uh, songs of praise songs of thanksgiving, uh, and then speaking to one another. In that context, you're allowing the Spirit to fill you. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 5.18 doesn't have the word holy in it. Hmm. And uh, we think it's not the same as uh, the other uses of of filled uh, by the Spirit. Uh, It says to, I I think it's the way I translate it, is to allow yourself to be filled. And then the the phrase in Greek is anumity And that particular construction, comes out as an adverb. Allow yourselves to be spiritually filled. Hmm. Now, if you're spiritually filled, I think the Holy Spirit's going to do it. But you can set up a context in worship where you can quench the spirit. You you can uh, make it so rigid and so uh, uh, ritualistic that it would be hard for the spirit to fill the group. Hmm. Or you can do what he says there. and I think it sets up a context where the spirit can fill the group and when he does so you're aware of it right you don't have to take it by faith mm-hmm. you can feel it mm-hmm. and it's it's wonderful but uh at the other extreme you have these people who have their uh group experiences and they're they're just seeking that feeling they want that spiritual high and i saw that over in israel a group of people from a certain nation uh about 300 of them broke up into five groups of about 60 to go into the upper room. And they got up there, and it took them about 30 minutes to work themselves up into a frenzy uh, of emotions. And uh, each group did that, and it took a while to work themselves up. So to me, that can be dangerous too, uh, just seeking the feeling. Mm.
1: I think so. I think even for me, when I look back on growing up and participating in youth camps and things that were very meaningful experiences for me, uh, it is easy to start making those the litmus test for your experience of COD. And that's mm-hmm. a very risky proposition because then you kind of go with that expectation every Sunday and if that's your barometer, then you, you might be disappointed from Sunday to Sunday. So I think it's this different expectation of of entering that worship experience with uh, the invitation to say, God, I, I really do want to hear from you today. I really do want to worship today. I really want to bring
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, myself to the table, not just what is being presented to me is a very different approach to how you engage uh, in the church experience, I believe. Good, good. So our, our listener references what some would call a dry spiritual season. Uh, when people feel like they have not felt God's presence in a long time, it can be extremely discouraging. What would you say to someone who's struggling today with that discouragement?
0: Well, again, this is one of those hard questions because I don't know what enough about the other person. Sure. But I would uh, suspect if this is a fairly mature Christian uh isn't aware of any known sin in their life, uh, isn't harboring some deep grudge from their past, uh, a father wound type thing. Uh, Then I would go back to what I said earlier about Yancey's approach that this is probably a time in your life when God is uh, developing fog faith. Mm. And that's uh, the the more, uh, as he points out in his book, the, further you go with Christ, the further away he seems to be. Mm. Well, that doesn't seem very much to look forward to, does it? No. <laughs> However, uh, since I'm such an old man now, I've lived through a lot of this. And uh, uh, I, can, I can say that during some of the big trials of life, he can put a bubble around you, and you actually do feel closer to him than you've ever been. But I can also see that times when you wonder what on earth's going on. Mm. And is God really in control and, uh, uh, you know, what's happening here? And, you know, those are times, though, when he may be drawing you closer than ever. You just aren't aware of it and may not see it for a while.
1: Right. I think if we look in Scripture, we have examples to follow from uh, great pillars of the faith. Like David, he experienced a similar struggle in his life. In fact, in Psalm 63, he writes the following, both from the literal desert and then figuratively from a place of spiritual drought. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. What lessons do you think we can learn from David's life that might Mm -hmm. be applicable to us in our own desert experiences?
0: Well, David created a lot of his desert experiences himself. Uh, You know, from Psalm 51, he finally acknowledges all his uh, issues in the Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite uh, affair. But in there, he pleads that God wouldn't take the Holy Spirit from him. Mm. Now, they weren't permanently indwelt until Pentecost, but certain people were given the Holy Spirit. Uh, The kings were one of them, at least initially. Saul had the Spirit, but the Spirit was taken from him. When David sinned, he thought, oh, Mm. you may take the Spirit from me. But he confesses his sin. He pleads that God wouldn't take the Holy Spirit from him. He says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And then he makes the most interesting statement. He says, then I will teach sinners your ways.
1: Mm.
0: Well, we forget sometimes that that psalm was a song that the temple choir sang. (laughs) Well, how would you like to have your uh, most public sin made even more public by having the choir sing about it? Wow. (laughs) But it's it's an amazing psalm because in there... He uses not only the three major Hebrew words for sin, he also uses the strongest words in the Hebrew language for, we'll just call it forgiveness. And um, it's beautiful. But then, you know, uh, Psalm uh, 63 or Psalm 3, uh, you know, David created some problems with Absalom. And uh, Absalom created some of those problems too. But after the deal with Bathsheba, uh, Nathan is speaking to him, to David, and says, you know, uh, your enemies are going to lie with your wives in the open sunlight. Mm-hmm. Well, part of that was fulfilled uh, with his difficulties with his own children. Absalom was chasing him, trying to kill him. But in Psalm 3, he writes this wonderful psalm of repose and rest uh, in the Lord. And there's no indication in that psalm he's even aware that he's helped create some of his problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may have been, it just doesn't show up in the psalm. And I find that very encouraging, because I think some of the dry spells and desert experiences we have are part of our own creation because of our failures and because of our sins. But even in the midst of that, uh, he says, God is, hasn't abandoned you. Mm-hmm. He's there. Uh, he wants to pick you up and carry you on. It just may be, uh, take a little bit of time. So.
1: Right. That's such an encouraging thought to know that we might be in a desert experience, but we, re- we truly are never alone. Right. Uh, he doesn't lead cool. us to places where He's not going to, to walk with us there. Are there other spiritual disciplines that you would encourage people to pursue, maybe to fan the flame in their spiritual life? The listener referenced that, that they were pursuing God through disciplines like prayer and Bible study, but do you feel like there are other things that people could um, pursue that might help them in those dry seasons?
0: Well, it depends on what you call the disciplines. Again, I'm not a fan of the disciplines approach to the spiritual life because I find it self-centered and uh, experiential oriented, uh, which I think can be dangerous. Uh, but if you want to call it a discipline, service. Right. You know, uh, Evangelism. Uh, again, it's really hard to feel sorry about yourself when you go to the hospital,
1: mm.
0: assuming you're not... Going to the hospital to stay. (laughs) I rarely walk out of the hospital that my problems don't seem to pale next to what I've just seen. Oh, my gosh. So then it goes on, talks about visiting widows and orphans, and it seems to be saying, go do something for somebody, and you'll be happy in your doing. I remember the story of a wealthy Englishman who uh, found no joy in life, and so he decided to jump off the bridge over the Thames River. Mm -hmm. and uh, got out there, and he saw a homeless person, uh, and he he had uh, a bunch of gold coins in his pocket, and he said, well, these won't do me any good. So he gave them to the uh, homeless person, and uh, it gave him so much joy that he said, I think I'll spend the rest of my life giving my money away.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And uh, that's what he did. In other words, he found joy, which is a feeling, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: uh, after helping other people, so uh, I I can also say I think in my life uh, it's one of the advantages of being a a minister who's full-time at it is that ninety percent of my time is geared around helping other people and I find when I'm depressed it's usually I'm thinking about myself and when I'm happy it's usually because I'm helping other people. Well, uh, so I think that's uh, one of the disciplines I would add, along with Bible study and prayer, and uh, of course, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. Uh, a lot of times, people who uh, uh, they isolate themselves, right, and don't want to open up and don't realize that uh, we're to bear one another's burdens. That's an interesting uh, verse in uh, Galatians 6, because it says, "In bearing one another's burdens, you." On a play it says, you fill up completely to the brim the oh. love of Christ. Hmm. Uh, and so much of uh, the Christian experience you can't, uh, that's positive, you can't have in isolation. Right. How many of the uh, wh- What of the fruit of the Spirit can you have by yourself as a hermit? And How do you develop patience with other people unless you're with them? You know, things like that. So um, I think fellowship, if you're not doing that. Uh, that's in a service, I would add, to the uh, prayer and and Bible study. Those would be the main ones.
1: Definitely. And I, th- I think for me, one of the things that's been such a blessing in seasons of struggle is when you are connected with other people in your church community, especially people that have walked more uh,
0: mm-hmm. of
1: their life than you have that have, have gone further down that spiritual road, they have so much insight and so much of a testimony to share that God brought them through that season. And so even though the circumstances of your struggle might be different, there's encouragement in the fact that
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: people can attest to the fact that God has brought them through. right. Uh, so what a blessing that that is. So I think in closing, would, would you just lead us in a prayer for those right now that are out there that are struggling to experience God's presence?
0: Well, sure. Our Father in Heaven, uh, we would be self-deluded to think that uh, this life is just a rose garden. Uh, there are a lot of thorns and thistles as we go along, as well as the beauty of the, of the roses. But uh, when those uh, thorns are... Uh, prickling and sticking in our skin, uh, it hurts. And sometimes things in this life hurt. So many unexpected uh, twists and turns uh, in this life. A mate who leaves you abandoned, uh, left alone to raise the children, Uh, a boss that didn't fulfill his promises to you, and now you find yourself in financial straits. There are just so many things we could list. So we all need uh, to be encouraged. We need to be encouraged mainly through you and to uh, camp on your promises that you will meet all our needs according to your riches in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. And uh, just realize that uh, you're there to take us through any trial. And even these trials are there for our spiritual benefit. Help us, Lord, to uh, get um, 50-20 vision, as it says in Genesis 50 uh, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, Joseph speaking to his brothers. So so much that happens to us looks unusually evil, and it may be. But God can use even that uh, for our good in this life, and especially in the next. Because uh, as we respond with faith, uh, we know it glorifies you. So I pray for all of us that walk through these difficult times that we might keep our eyes on you, the author and finisher of our faith, and uh, not shrink back as the manner of some is uh, into destruction, having our lives uh, destroyed, but press on by faith to making our lives count forever. And I pray this in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Amen. Dr. Anderson, thank you so much. It's always a privilege to talk about our great God and his, his good word uh, with you. As you heard today, we were so excited to be able to respond to listener questions, and so we want to encourage you, if you're listening and and you would love to be able to submit a question, we would love to hear from you. Uh, It's always a great opportunity for us to engage with our listeners and to be able to respond in ways that uh, speak to the questions that you have and meet you right where you're at today. So if you have questions, feel free to email us at savinggrace at gsot.edu, and we'll look forward to hearing from you. If you have been encouraged or challenged by today's program, we encourage you to learn more about Grace School Theology. You can visit us at our website at www.gsot.edu savinggrace. That's gsot.edu savinggrace. And today, I'd love to point you to another online resource located at partnerwithgrace.org. That's partnerwithgrace.org. This site outlines various ways that you can partner with Grace and our vision to develop spiritual leaders in every nation. You'll find stories from our students, links to our blog, and information about upcoming events. And perhaps God's leading you to partner with us in another way, perhaps financially or in prayer. Or maybe you feel a stirring in your heart today to pursue a deeper understanding of God and His Word. If so, Grace offers certificates and degrees that are affordable and accessible no matter where you are around the world. And as a graduate of Grace, I can promise you that you'll never regret a decision to invest in your spiritual growth. You will leave more in love with Jesus and better equipped to minister in His name. Be sure to tune in to the next edition of Saving Grace, living in light of God's love. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost.
0: You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu/savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.